Welcome to the Social World Podcast. Uh, my name is Dave Niven. Um, I'll be talking about anything and everything to do with the social world. Uh, anything that comes my way, there'll be news, there'll be items, there'll be interviews, anything that's contemporary and, to be quite frank with you, anything that I think would interest you. My background's in social work. I was a former chair of the British Association of Social Workers and um, mostly I worked with children and families and mostly I worked involved with child protection and latterly with disabled children and their families. So I hope you enjoy it. Okay, here we are. Shirley Ayers is our guest today and I'm very pleased that you can join us, Shirley. Shirley's a just seems to have done about everything here. Social worker, marketeer, consultant, care maverick, podcaster, innovator. But at the moment, she's really strongly promoting herself as a, uh, and super connector, which she will explain herself as we go on. Welcome, Shirley. Thanks ever so much for joining us. Delighted to be here with you. Do you want to say just a little bit about this? Because it's fascinating. I mean, and I know, having listened to you for a bit there, I just how, how passionate you are about this. The super connector tag, how that came about and why? What, what, what's your passion and how did it come about for that? I think my passion, I, my background is as a social worker. I have qualifications in ethics, leadership and marketing. Um, I think all of those are necessary if we are going to improve the quality of care services. And what I feel very strongly is that the care sector is not using um, either social media or digital technology to its full potential to enhance social care. And one of the critical issues that, you know, there's a lot of talk about integrated care, how important it is, but the reality is too many organisations are still thinking um, with a silo mentality. And what we now need are people who can work across care, health, housing, voluntary sector, social enterprises, the private sector, working with innovators, tech entrepreneurs. It's an unusual combination, but if we are going to provide the best care and support uh, in a connected age, then that's what we've got to do. So these essentially are sort of like digital generic people, effectively. Um, no, I don't. I don't. I don't think. Um, I, I'd say super connectors are probably people who understand the digital landscape. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you've done a whole range of things over the years. We had connecting social care and social media. That was a collaborative project that you set up. How did that come about to start with? I, I'd say what is interesting for me is that um, when people say, oh, well, you know, social media isolates people and all you're doing is talking to a computer screen, uh, are totally wrong. And... I've built up a following over many years and I have met quite a few people, strangely enough, in real life. <laughs> and, um, you know, I, I, I often, it's a, it's, a, it's a strange thing. People have a fantasy that I'm online 24-7. I do have a life. And um, when I go to conferences and events, a lot of my time is spent talking to people and listening to what they're saying about what the challenges and issues are for them. And I have met, I have been privileged to meet 
a lot of people who work both in the care sector and in other sectors and we wanted to provide a space for alternative voices who would look at how we could use social media to connect and promote different ways of thinking and innovative approaches in care more widely. Are you quite happy with um, the view that really any form of social media is an advance because obviously we want more and more people these days to recognize the importance of it and the fact that it's, it's not going to go away. But um, are there any preferential kind of methods or uh, whether Twitter over Facebook or over LinkedIn or whatever that you have come to prefer or you just think anything goes really as long as it gets people engaged? I, I, I'd say with, um, with any of the social media platforms that you have to have a very clear sense of who your audience is and where they talk. You know, it's about joining in conversations. Um, it, and the tools are, digital technology is an enabler. It's not an end in itself. And I know one of the concerns that, that many people have is a sense that, oh, well, if everything is done with, with, with technology, then I'll never see anybody. I'll, mm. I'll never get to meet anybody. Mm. Um, and so coming back to the social media platforms, I think um, people just have to be clear about what the story is that they want to tell and what the appropriate platform is to tell it on, because they all require a slightly different voice, uh, a strategy. One of the biggest problems is people who launch mm. on a number of platforms, they don't have a digital engagement strategy, they've given it no more thought than they need a presence. Mm. And as I gently say to people, um, a Twitter presence and a hashtag do not equal engagement. And the, and the same with Facebook, setting up a group and not nurturing it um, is a total waste of time. You know, the social space is very crowded. You've got to add value by good content, by talking to people, and importantly, listening to what they're saying. And one of the problems we have with a lot of our big care organizations is they're still in broadcast mode. Right. Okay. Got you. I mean, I'm, I'm a great believer in variety, which is why we called our podcast the Social World Podcast instead of the Social Work Podcast, because I wanted a bit of elbow room. But you're a very experienced podcaster. I mean, I'm guessing from what you said that you thought the quality of people that you have on your podcast is terribly important. Yes, I do. Um, and it's alternative voices. And we've very, been very fortunate. If I if I look at um, the guests that we've had, you know, it's ranged from Andrea Sutcliffe when she was still at the Social Care Institute for Excellence, mm -hmm. Richard Humphreys from the King's Fund, mm -hmm. um, Dominic Campbell, um, cited as one of the most um, innovative um, tech people in the in the public so in the public sector. Um, I, I I love it. What 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 has been so um, gratifying for me is the people who have agreed to come on and be questioned and to be involved in the debate. My saddest observation, David, is that we have tried to get sponsorship for the podcasts and whilst everybody loves them and would like to appear on them, um, we've not been able to find a, an organisation committed to transformation across care, health um, and housing who are prepared to fund it. So what that's meant 
is that um, Stu Arnott and I, who, who present it, uh, funded it ourselves for quite a long time. But, you know, financially, it's not sustainable. So we will continue to do it. We're trying to do one every quarter. But um, I, the amount of money I see being spent on, <clears throat> on communications that aren't being effective and thinking about how organizations um, could be supporting us, I think that's one of the real big disconnects. Given that your experience of digital media, though, and looking at innovations over the past anyway, I mean, it's possible that quite soon there'll be a tipping point, wouldn't you say, where people would look to experienced and very well connected people like yourselves and your podcast and then suddenly realise the value of sponsoring that. I, I, I think it, I think it will happen, but um, all the time we've got organisations thinking in silos and and think you know I mean for me, um, social media um, is about we, um, but we are in a very competitive funding environment, mm. and. Um, a lot of organizations just want to talk about themselves. And the problem about being you know, a, a disruptive innovator is that we can see um, the importance of connecting up care health um, and housing and all these other organizations. Um, but the organizations themselves will have to cede a bit of their, their power and influence to allow other voices to come in. And we have been uh, we're known for our, our independent stance. Uh, that's what makes the podcast so engaging. Mm. But, but it means that you know, no organisation can, um, can dictate uh, the content of the podcasts. So I guess that's a challenge. You know, if you've got organisations who are used to putting out tenders that specify quite clearly the outcomes they want, and we're in the very innovative and disruptive digital space, um, it doesn't necessarily fit with their business plan. Not yet, anyway. I rather, <laughs> I rather suspect it's something around the corner because it's just becoming so increasingly popular and so increasingly um, the landscape, if you like, for people to communicate. Absolutely, yes. You were talking about delivering services differently, you know, using digital and social media. Had you particular things in mind, or was it? Are you that was just a, a sort of a generic comment? You know, looking at the way the future is shaping up. Um, I, I think it's 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 a number a number of things. I mean, earlier this year, I was fortunate to be commissioned by the Nominate Trust um, to write a provocation paper on can online innovations enhance social care, and the simple answer is yes. But one of the real challenges is that we've still got a sector that thinks um, in very binary terms of care is either residential care or domiciliary care. And if we are serious about personalized services, then in a sense, a bit like, you know, you and I will have a number of apps on our phones that are personal to us. This is, you know, these are the things I want to know about. These are the things that interest me. Whereas um, you, we've not got um, social services thinking, okay, if we actually started with the person and what their needs, hopes, strengths and aspirations are, we wouldn't just be looking at one or two things in 
you know, that are that are static in the community, we'd be thinking, okay, for example, if you if you've got um, a person who is really interested in playing Scrabble and tends to be awake at night, well, why aren't we connecting them to a Scrabble group that's running across the other side of the world? You know, what what I find interesting when I go to residential homes and I, I, I talk to residents there, I mean, if I actually, if I just said to them, oh, I've come to teach you about the internet, rightly, they would say, well, there's much more interesting things to do with our time. If I say to them, um, how would you like a free way of connecting with your grandchildren in Australia? They want to know. So there's something about the way that technology is being promoted and sold at the moment that is not emphasizing the benefits. Right. Got you. I wanted to ask you something there, too. It just occurred to me. I was involved not long ago in um, a debate about security uh, in terms of digital media and especially to do with the statutory authorities who are not law enforcement. So, for example, social services uh, monitoring people's digital media for especially for families where they would be considered to be a risk to a child or a vulnerable adult yep. um, and setting up a teams even to do so. What's your thoughts on that? Well, I, I, let's, let's start with the Care Quality Commission. You know, they've publicly stated that they are using social me media to monitor comments and concerns, um, and rightly so. I think, you know, the whole... We, we ha still have a lot of thinking to do around how we're using digital um, effectively. You know, it, it, and, and, and last week I was I was running a, um, a, a session at the Care Council in Wales, and, and a question that students ask, for example, is, "Oh, should I should I friend um, you know an ex client, or should I should I follow uh, someone who I've worked with?" And I think we have to be very clear about the diff you know the sort of distinctions between personal and professional boundaries and that um, social media training should be part of every um, care qualifying course. I have no doubts about that at all. Mm. I recently co-ran a conference where we had the head of Google and the head of Facebook um, in the UK and um, the Facebook person admitted that there was 80 million plus false accounts and tens of thousands, he reckoned, accounts where parents have deliberately lied about the ages of their child in order to get a Facebook account. Um, I mean, this is the, if you like, the darker side of the net in terms of, I mean, people wouldn't let their children go and play in the middle of the motorway, or they wouldn't give them a bottle of whiskey at age 10, but effectively they let them actually become more vulnerable on, um, on digital media. What's your kind of thoughts on that? Um, what I'd say is that there is an enormous amount of guidance available from um, many different organisations and I believe that parents and carers have a responsibility to educate their, the children in their care um, about both the benefits and the dangers. Uh, I, th I believe we empower young people and my, you know, my social work career started out working with some of the most disempowered young people in South London. Mm -hmm. I believe we empower people with knowledge and information and um, it's a complex area but there is good guidance around and I just think we need to promote it, you know, ignoring it. Um, is doesn't mean it's it's going to go away. You know, we've got a very very sensitive issue. For example, 
about adopted children who um, who are using Facebook to search for their birth parents. Yes, yes. Um, you know, and, and sort of saying, "Oh no, you, you know, you, you you can't do it." Well, that really, isn't good enough. You, we we actually, you know, have to ensure we have the right. Um, relationships with children and young people that enable us to talk about it sensitively and openly quite honestly okay and the last question was about a minute or two to say whatever you want what messages you'd like to put out to my listeners um, the uh, social media and digital technology are transforming the way that we communicate the way that we engage there are many exciting opportunities and I sometimes think that the the opportunities are being led by people outside of the care sector rather than within it. If you go on, there's a lot of sharing that goes on um, across social media, uh, a lot of resources that are available to help people and if you if you want some sort of advice to start out then please contact me on Twitter at Shirley Ayres. Okay Shirley. Many, many thanks for the interview today. I hope it's not the last time that we talk because it's fascinating. Well, thanks very much, Shirley, for that. That was excellent. Now it's Christmas. And so it's a time for relaxing. It's a time for family. It's a time for enjoying yourself and trying to forget about all the troubles in the world. But for me, it's also a time to reflect upon some of the things that I never get much of a chance to. And I have a bit of a laugh too, if I can get half a chance. And so I thought that for today's podcast, we'd have a little think about some poetry and some poems that kind of talk about Christmas and reflect some of the things that I value. And um, in the first case, we'll talk about the environment because uh, Christmas and the environment are pretty intertwined as far as I'm concerned. And I was looking through poetry and I was looking through some Christmas poetry and I was coming across some things that really interested me but I couldn't find too much about Christmas and the environment until I came across Robinson Jeffers. Now John Robinson Jeffers was an American poet known for his work about the central California coast and most of his poetry was written in classic narrative and epic form but Today he's also known for his short verse and he's considered to be an icon of the environmental movement. Anyway, I just thought I'd like to read you his poem. The world has many seas, Mediterranean, Atlantic, but here is the shore of the one ocean, and here the heavy future hangs like a cloud. The enormous scene, the enormous games preparing Weigh on the water and strain the rock. The stage is here, the plays conceived, the players are not found. I saw on the Sierras, up the Kawe Valley, above the Moro Rock, the mountain redwoods, like red towers on the slopes of snow. About their bases grew a bushery of Christmas green, firs and pines to be monuments for pilgrimage. In Europe, I remembered the Swiss forests, the dark robes of Pilatus, no trunk like these there, but these are underwood. They are only a shrubbery about the boles of the trees. Our people are clever and masterful. 
They've got powers in the mass and they accomplish marvels and it's possible that they will make them before it. There's not one memorable person. There's not one mind to stand with the trees or one life with the mountains. Now, for me, that doesn't mention too many words that are traditionally Christmassy, but it evokes the environment at Christmas. It evokes the whole landscape. And that is stimulation enough for me. The whole idea of being out there in nature, experiencing the whole um, layout, if you like, of this time of year, with the, the trees, the forest, the mountains, the snow, it's all there. And it's so evocative. Now take it a little bit further back. And we'll have a look at some of the more humorous stuff that goes on. On one hand, it's very serious, I understand that, and every family has its own dramas, and every Christmas gathering has their own riots and arguments and bust-ups and goodness knows what else. But at the same time, underpinning everything is the, the spirit of Christmas. And even though you get your really grumpy people, and even though you get your really kind of um, denier, if you like, Christmas deniers, still something magical about the time that's uh, a reflection of childhood. However, you also get your cynics. But in cynicism, you sometimes get quite a lot of humour. And I thought I'd just share this one with you. Because sometimes it reflects some of the more serious things that we talk about the rest of the year. Happy Christmas to you, friend. Now the season's at an end. Choked to death on turkey bones. Vats of wine and festive groans. People sick and children crying, feeble conversation dying. Coloured cards with putrid rhymes tell of false and hollow times. Red-nosed drinkers belch and scream, revellers rev and children dream. Shoppers jostle, fight and rave for the holiday super save. Now, with debris scattered round, Discarded puppies lost and found, flirting parties, faithless spouse, in-laws yell, divided house, argue, separate, divorce, children puzzled, tempers worse, split the money, pour the wine, have a happy Christmas time. And, okay. That's just a bit OTT, but at the same time, it does reflect an awful lot of what goes on these days. I wish all of you a very happy Christmas and a very good and prosperous new year, and I hope a lot of your dreams come true. I know we focus on a lot of serious points in the podcast, and I know that's the world around us is a serious place, but sometimes it's good to have a bit of levity, and sometimes it's good just to say a good wish to everybody, a good Christmas to everybody. And we'll see you later in the new year. Merry Christmas. <laughs>